Hello, this is Brian Barcelona. Thank you for listening to our podcast. This past Sunday night, we had the privilege of having Lou Engle, who spoke on the Nazarite vow, which is calling people to consecration. And we'd love if you could take a listen, share this podcast so that more people would be able to hear this message and impact their generation. Bless you. Ain't this exciting times to be, to be living? I wanted to paint a story before I bring up a father in the faith to my wife and I. Um, it's an honor to be in this room at Lou. It's an honor to have preached with him a few times. But I want to let you know that what you're stepping into is nothing that's new. Um, I'm a millennial. Any millennials here? Make some noise. How many of you know that there wasn't really this for our generation? They weren't like, millennials for Jesus. Every sermon was like, you suck. You know? It, but man, could we be to the next generation what we never had. I just want you to know that God did not pass up our generation. There is an opportunity for our generation now that is so amazing. We have, we have the opportunity to introduce the Isaac generation, no, the, the Jacob generation to the Abraham generation. We have the opportunity to tell them the history. That's what I want to open up with tonight before I bring Lou up. Some people say that I sound a little bit like Lou. A little bit. But 22 years ago, actually 1999, 23 years ago, 1999, Lou Ingle was crying out to God, how can I turn America back to you? And a woman comes up to him and says, you don't know who I am, but the Lord spoke to me. You're going to start something with the youth of America in prayer that will change the destiny of the nation. I'll give you $100,000 to start it. Lou says this. He says, I didn't know the lady, but I took her money. Is that right? Little did he know that $100,000 would lead into a mobilization for nine months from January all the way to September. So he wants you to know next week marks the 22nd anniversary of the story I'm about to tell. This, this date was not picked by accident. Lou begins to mobilize for nine months. This was before social media. Lou didn't have an Instagram. There were no TikToks. He didn't have the ability to mobilize like we do today. And for nine months, he's praying, fasting, and mobilizing the nation. Doesn't know if anyone will show up. Did you have registration then? No registration. He rents the National Mall. He's had nightmares that 20 people show up. But he's believing maybe 20,000 will show up. 10,000 will show up. In September, he wakes up that morning. It shows up on the National Mall at 5.30 in the morning. And the park police come to him and said, Mr. Ingle, there are already 270,000 people gathered here at 5.30 in the morning. Hold on. And they said, and the metros are jammed. More are coming. 22 years ago, next weekend, 400,000 young people gathered on the National Mall in D.C. One of those young people who actually received the original word of Gen Z for Jesus, his name is Aaron Costello. Stand up for me, Aaron. Aaron Costello was nine years old on the National Mall in D.C. And 22 years later, he's now leading a generation because he was at that moment. Why do I tell you this story? Because you have to understand that nothing we're doing is new. Bible says that old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. 
Fathers, if you hold on to those dreams long enough, they become the visions of the next generation. I want to tell you, if you're a parent and you're watching on stream, don't drop your kids off and go get a burger. What parent drops her kid off at Disneyland? You spend all day, spend way too much money standing in lines that you don't even have time to stand in for a one-minute ride. But you build memories with your children that you'll never forget. Come and build memories in this arena with your children. I want to tell a few stories. I'm going to pass it to Lou. Is that okay? I'm going to do it anyways. I want to tell a story that's very dear to my heart. I got saved in 07. Radically saved. I was an atheist. Everything in which I am today, I don't attribute to my biological parents. There wasn't a huge godly lineage there. My father is still not a Christian. He's coming to the Lord, though. He's still not a believer. He's coming. He actually came a month ago and sat in the front row when I preached with Lou. My nine-year-old brother answered the altar call that night. But I want you to understand something. Just because you don't have godly parents don't mean you can't tap into a godly lineage. And just because you never had a godly lineage don't mean you can't be one for the next generation. You hearing this? I got saved in 07. In 2008, my youth group was loading up one Wednesday. And I said, where are y'all going? They said, we're going to this event called The Call. And I said, what is that? I said, it's an event in San Diego led by Lou Engle. Who's that? I don't know Lou Engle. Didn't know who he was. I'd just gotten saved. I said, can I come? Sure. So I get in this van. We drive to San Diego. I was living in Northern California at the time. And we get there to this stadium, and there's about 35,000 people in Qualcomm Stadium in 2008. And I'm sitting in the stands, watching, and for the first time ever, I lay eyes upon like this. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Can I say this? You are now the generation. Lou was the generation that's seen the entry of Roe v. Wade. You are the generation that has seen the end of Roe v. Wade. I'm going to take this line from Lou. Roe is no more. That is your, this is one of the first gatherings post-Roe. The prayer that Lou Engle prayed for 18 years. Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion. He did that. And the next part of the prayer is send revival. If God was faithful to end abortion, why would he not be faithful to send revival? Why would he not? I'm watching Lou. I'm drawn to him and I hear the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, one day you'll work with that man. My heart is, don't know what to do with that. So I don't tell anybody, just keep it to myself. A few years later, I'm watching Lou Engle videos on YouTube. He's discipling me through YouTube. And one night in my teen years, I'm praying. I don't know how mantles work. I don't know how they fall. Some of you might have a mantle ministry. I don't know how that all works. But one night, I'm praying and I'm crying out to God, literally like this. God, give me the mantle of Lou Engle. I'm praying this. 
This was before my voice was raspy. I actually used to sing, not no more. God, give me the mantle of Lou Engle to turn high schools back to God. Nothing happened. I didn't feel a mantle fall. I didn't feel anything. Nothing. But a week later, a couple weeks later, this guy from my church comes up to me and he says, you're not going to believe who's coming to preach this week. And I said, oh, he goes, Lou Engle. So that Saturday before, I go to a bookstore. And I walk in and I says, do you all have any books on revival by Smith Wigglesworth? And the lady goes, no, we don't carry any Smith Wigglesworth books, but I got a book here called The Azusa Street by Frank Bartleman. Do you want it? I said, sure, I'll take it. I start reading it that night. The next day, Luke comes, and he opens up the service with this. He says, I'm going to reenact it. Is it okay? He says, there are some times God gives a man a burning bush, but there are other times he gives a man a burning book. He goes, I want to tell you about the book that changed my life, The Azusa Street by Frank Bartleman. Why am I telling you these stories? Because your lives are not coincidences. You are not sitting here today because you thought you were just coming to a service. God orchestrated tonight for a reason. I guarantee you, if you feel sorry for yourself that you're the only believer in your family, I guarantee you somewhere down your lineage, although you don't know their name, someone stood for God. Hold on, hold your clap. Someone stood for God, and God is honoring that legacy through your yes today. I have my line with Lou. Can I tell one more story, Lou? Is that okay? No. <laughs> Separately, my wife, we're not married at the time. We don't even know each other at the time. My wife is watching the call 7707. I'm not even saved then. I don't think. Maybe I was, but I was, I don't know. She's watching the call 7707, right? You were there? She's watching the call Nashville on God TV. And this woman comes on the God TV and says, you who are watching God TV, you will be a voice for the ending of abortion in America. And my wife starts weeping. And I asked my wife if I could share this. She said it was okay. Before my wife was a Christian, she was a, she was a prodigal. And in her early 20s, she had an abortion. She's watching this as she begins to weep, but none of her family knows why she's weeping because she had never told them. Years later, in 2010, I think, or 2011, Lou Ingle ends up coming to our church, her church. I wasn't there yet, but it became my church. It became my church because I was going after her. <laughs> Ladies, that's a word for you. <laughs> Lou Ingle comes to preach. My wife's leading worship. As my wife gets down, Lou goes up to her, doesn't know anything, and Lou says, you have a story. What is it? My wife tells him about the abortion, and she says, he says, you must trumpet this around America. You must call women to, to be healed in their hearts and be a voice for the ending of abortion. My wife is from El Salvador. Came here when she was two years old. You must be a voice. And she says, I can't. And he goes, why not? She goes, because my father doesn't know. How many of you know when you come from a Hispanic family, there's certain things you just don't want to tell your dad? She goes, there's no way that I could tell my dad. So they begin to fast and pray how to tell her dad. And one morning, her dad wakes up, walks into the kitchen, and he says, Marcella, I had a dream last night. It's kind of weird. She goes, what's the dream? He goes, in the dream, I was in a forest. 
And there was a little girl pulling my pant leg saying, Grandpa, Grandpa, Grandpa. My wife begins to weep and she says, Dad, I have to tell you something. She confesses the abortion. And instead of being met with love, he looks at her and says, who will want you? He leaves to go preach to a bunch of men about family. As he's preaching, the Holy Spirit convicts him and says, you hypocrite, go home and fix your family. He goes home, reconciles with Marcella, and says, I will stand with you. The most powerful thing he said was this. He says, the abortion isn't your fault, it's mine. I was addicted to things in my life that kept an open door for you. You know how powerful it is when parents take responsibilities for the sins of their children? We've been woven into this story. And I believe tonight you're going to be woven into a story. I remember what it was like to sit in crowds and listen to this man. Dreaming of one day maybe God would bring us together. Lou, I want to bring you up. If you come up here. This man has given, hold on. This man has given our generation permission to live radical. Where most people are giving us Guitar Hero and drinking soda through a sock. And the lamest youth group games in the world. Lou was saying, pray. Fast. Don't accept your struggle as your identity. And Lou, we honor you tonight. Guys, this man has been a voice to our life, a father to our life. Would you guys stand really quick? Would you extend your hand? Lord, we thank you for Lou Engle. We thank you for Therese Engle. We thank you for this father in the faith. We bless him tonight, Lord, and I pray his words would pierce hearts of young people that tonight Nazarites would be re-signed up tonight, Lord. That it's not just about abandoning our sin, Lord. It's saying, yeah, let's do that, but God, what else can we give? We want to live lives that are sold out to you. Father, we pray tonight would be the beginning, Lord, for the next six days of you cleansing our hearts that we would stand in September 3rd, consecrated before you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Guy, would you give it up for Lou Engle? Thank you. Thank you. What I, maybe you've heard it, but what he didn't say is in 1984, my pastor had, a, we were in Maryland, had a dream of a black man saying, come to Los Angeles, there's going to be a great revival. Because of that, we, 12 of us left everything to go plant a church in, in Los Angeles, uh, and dare to believe for a revival. We thought the revival would come right away. <laughs> Prophecies never happen right away. <laughs> God gives Joseph a dream and tells him he's going to rule the world. He doesn't tell him the bad news. The 80s were from Hades. <laughs> you got to stick around. You just have to stick around long enough. But when we moved there in 84, it was in Pasadena, California, that book, Frank Bartleman, 
I read this book my wife had given to me. Uh, he was an intercessor for the Azusa Street Revival. Uh, and he fasted so much they thought he would die. He was possessed by revival. I'm convinced it won't happen unless there are those who get possessed because there is no more alternative for America. You can't go on normal anymore. Everything is so far from normal. When drag queens and parents take their kids to drag queen libraries, where are we? Whatever the case, I read that Bible, uh, that book. <laughs> it wasn't the Bible, but it's close enough. And the book lit me on fire. And I did say, you know, Moses had a burning bush, but I had a burning book. It lit me on fire. When you get something that lights you on fire, you aren't to say, cool, that was a neat experience. You're to draw near to that fire. And you may find your name being called. Some of you have, lit, have run into fires reading books. Something happened to you about coming and going into the place of Congress and, and the likes. It's one thing to get a fire lit. It's another thing to follow the fire and to follow it for a long time. And I remember reading that book and instead of saying, cool book, it's lighting me on fire. I drew near to the fire. I fasted 18 days, crying God. And one night I was in my garage crying like I had never cried before. And I cried, God, give me the mantle of Frank Bartleman. When you prayed that, I didn't put it together. Give me the mantle of Lou Engle. You are... You are going back 110 years, crying out for a revival like the Azusa Street Revival that could turn this nation. The next day, a brother walked up to me and he said, he said, I had a dream of you last night. And he said, in the dream, I saw a big black book and the title said Revival. He said, I turned the inside of the cover. I saw a guy's face and his name was Frank Bartleman. And his face turned to your face. I know the title of my book. It's called Revival. And now I have a spiritual son and a daughter who are carrying that same book. It's just the next chapter. Elijah and, Elijah and Elisha, you don't take down Jezebel's culture by yourself. You have to take it down generationally. And tonight, I feel we're laying out something that could be. Oh, by the way, you don't just cry out for a mantle. Elijah brushed Elisha with his mantle. Remember the story? Elijah throws his mantle on Elisha, then walks away, and Elijah, Elisha has to burn his bridges and follow after Elijah. He didn't get the mantle then. He got brushed by it. Many people say, Give me your mantle. <laughs> no. You can get brushed by a mantle, but you got to wait and follow and stick with it until Elijah says, it's time. Pick up that mantle and strike the Jordan. That's when it became his mantle. Maybe this is the moment for you to pick up that mantle that happened 22 years ago. 
that God will bring Gen Z into the greatest revival far beyond what we could ever think or imagine. I feel like I'm in deja vu. I'm revisiting the 90s. No. <laughs> Help me, Lord. I, they told me I could go to midnight tonight. <laughs> Larissa said it. She said, there arose a generation that knew not God nor the things he had done. Almost all of you have not heard this story. You need to hear what God has done, daring to believe that what happened then, 22 years ago, a double portion movement is coming. So 19, uh, so we prayed for revival and fasted for revival and the 80s were from Hades. But then in 1993, 1994, God poured out his spirit. We saw the revival that was prophesied. Five years, uh, uh, three years, five nights a week meetings, thousands of people coming through our doors, having to carry them out at night screaming and under the power of God. We were like those who dreamed. We saw, we stuck, or stuck around for 10 years. And then in 1994, something happened. Really in 1993, I was invited to speak to a, a Taiwanese youth group up in the mountains for a retreat. And so I was up there and uh, I preached the first night. It was pretty good. And <laughs> that night the kids came to me and they said, we want to hold an all night prayer meeting. And I'm thinking, awesome. So the kids prayed and the preacher slept. I was the preacher, but God loves me. So he gave me a dream. And in the dream, I'm on stage with Benny Hinn, if you've ever heard of that guy. And he and I are ministering together and he said, Lou, you're done with the ministry. And I stepped down filled with joy. He fired me. I got fired from the ministry. <laughs> Next morning, I was getting ready to preach. I still remember very clearly the message I was going to preach on. I thought, this is going to be such a powerful message. <laughs> but right before I got to preach up, one of these Taiwanese high school kids stands up, and the Spirit of God is in the place, and he begins to prophesy. Wow. Bam! The Holy Spirit falls on the place. And for two hours, kids are slain in the spirit all over the building, prophesying, rolling, laughing. I'm thinking, this, I've never seen anything like it. This is pre-Toronto. I'm thinking, how rude this is. They didn't even let me preach. I'm really frustrated. I'm sitting up there in the front room. Finally, I just get up and I go to my cabin. I lay down and the dream comes rushing back to me. Benny Hinn wrote a book called The Anointing. When the anointing comes, you're done with the ministry. Ah, help me now. When the anointing comes, you're done with the ministry, but it's a joyful occasion. And I realized, and the Lord spoke to me, what is coming with the young people of America will never be about your preaching. It's what I do when kids pray. Little did I realize those kids were the Christian club leaders in their public schools in Los Angeles. 
They began to invite me into their public schools and we started prayer movements in high schools. Don't you love God? He just unfolds the journey if you get it. I had a map I put on my wall where all the high schools were and day by day, I would lay my hands on those maps and I was praying God for those high schools to have revival, that prayer meetings would break out in those high schools. Get a map and begin to dream big because I didn't realize when I was praying over those little high schools, God saw a half a million kids on the mall. Because unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that you can think or imagine, you're already dreaming too small. I feel the Holy Spirit. We've got to come out of the shadows of insecurity. Many people believe that God is great, but not too many believe that he's great in them. The great one lives inside of us. There is a godly ambition put in our souls by God himself to live an extraordinary life. Why dribble down to have a chapter fulfilled when God has written a whole divine novel about who you are? And these kids started something. We started something in... in and out the pouring of the Holy Spirit in 1994, a conference gathering together, and the Holy Spirit fell, and they all got married to Jesus. They would walk down the center aisle, and the power of God would hit them and slam. I realized that Nazarite vow was actually going, it is a marriage vow. Help me now, Lord, to speed up. So all across America, for seven years, I traveled, in small groups of high schoolers, 200, 300, and we called them to something called Nazarite consecration and fasting and prayer and sonship and loving Jesus. We thought it was pretty cool then. It was really pretty, pretty light. And then in 1997, if you'll turn with me, I was in a gathering of 600 young people and I preached on Luke 117. You got your cell phone, I mean your Bibles. And I preached on this passage. In the days of Herod, verse five, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. And now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, he was chosen by, the, by lot to enter into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside of the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Notice, for your prayer has been heard. It doesn't say your prayers have been heard. There was one dominating prayer for years in their lives. The reproach must go. We must have a child. The angel of the Lord comes and says, your prayer, 
Years of barrenness produces a groan that produces a prophet. Come on. Hannah is barren. Little does she realize that God feels barren. It's a whole era without visions and dreams. And he's groaning for something beyond the normal priesthood. He's looking for a Nazarite who can turn the history of a nation. Little does she know in her little sphere, her little groans are but a picture of the groans of heaven. He's got to find someone on earth that groans like him to birth a new era. I believe we're in the days I am prophesying a new era of Nazarites are coming. I believe there's a mighty women's movement. Women who have lost their babies in death. Women who have lost their babies in abortion. And they will cry, do not let the death of my child be in vain. Give me revival. And I got stories to tell about that. A woman named Rizba, I won't go there. One of the most mighty women in the Bible. I'm growing. Anyway, shut up, Lou. Just get going here. And you should buy, and Elizabeth, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Oh, to be great before the Lord, not great before men. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. They may never know your name on a stage, but you're known at the throne. Give me people that are known at the throne. And God will move those people to pray for those who are on stage that have big mouths like mine. It's the little lady that for 40 years has been praying for me before the, I was even engaged in stuff, praying for 40 years that I would be a lighthouse in America. Four lighthouses she had. And she would go into a bookstore and the lady would come in to a, a curio shop or whatever and say, I don't know who you are, but I think you're looking for this. You're, you want this flag that I have, it's four lighthouses. Went into a library or bookstore or something, the lady says, I don't know who you are, but I think you're looking for this book. It's about a woman who kept four lighthouses. Who knows what those prayers of the saints that no one knows? They're known at the throne. Come on. Elizabeth, your prayer has been heard. And you will have a boy and he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Why don't you just whisper that prayer? Lord, I don't care if men see me, but make me great in your sight. Just pray it. Close your eyes. Make me great in your sight. Amen. Some of you are embarrassed to even pray that as if it's not godly or pride. Come on. We don't know who we are. So the Lord's been speaking, son, you don't know who you are. When a man anointed me years ago from New Zealand, showed up at my office, some wild man, he said, the Lord told me to go look for a man in America who would stand in the gates and rebuke the lords in the gates and stand as a king, dumped oil all over me. 
For 18 years, we have stood in the gate of the Supreme Court of the United States of America. The gates of Hades has not prevailed. Roe is no more. And 50 states have now come into the battlegrounds for life. You can't live the same in your generation. I'm sorry, I'm supposed to get going here. And he says this, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. That's the Nazarite vow. The Nazarites were raised up by God. Amos 2.11, I raised up among your young men Nazarites and among your sons prophets, but you commanded my sons not to prophesy and you commanded my Nazarites to drink wine. Is this not true, O Israel? In other words, God was raising up youth movements that were prophetic and were Nazarites for the reason of turning a nation back when it's at its full apostasy. Did you get that? He said, I raised them up. And God says, I am rebuking you parents for not letting your kids burn. You want them to get an education? You send them to a university and turn them over to the professors of Babylon? Is it any wonder they come back and they're living alternative lifestyles? I wouldn't send my Daniel anywhere to a university unless he was prepared like Daniel to challenge the, the Babylon universities. Why would you turn your children to be discipled by pagans? Their whole goal is to drive the loyalty of Yahweh out of those young kids. But Daniel made a stand. Give us those kind of kids. We're losing thousands and thousands of kids because we wanted them to be successful rather than be burning. My gosh. He's fasting at 14 to 17 years old. He makes a, a defining line. I will not eat the fine foods of Babylon. A Daniel fast. And God begins to reward him with divine intelligence and makes him 10 th times better than the pagan sorcerers. Of his. He becomes the head of the whole psychic union. God is going to raise up Daniels in our day. He's the prototype of the last day's generation who stands in Babylon and all of his back, whatever that word was. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Daniel was a kind of businessman, Nazarite. He made a vow that he would separate himself from anything that caused him to lose his loyalty to Yahweh. And then John the Baptist makes a vow, gives the vow given by an archangel, and his whole life he doesn't drink wine. Why? Because wine is a legitimate pleasure of the Nazareth, of a culture. But in this thing, he said, I am, I am denying myself even the legitimate pleasures 
of this life for the extreme pleasures of knowing God. Even the good things become the enemy of the best. You say, well, that's not balanced. John the Baptist was anything but balanced. Is this too intense for her upper room? I know it isn't because we're here. I mean, John the Baptist wasn't balanced. Balance is a dirty word. Sometimes balance is a dirty word. Sorry. Michael have to clear this up. But the dude said his meals were locusts and honey. And then it says he fasted often. He broke his main meal of locusts and honey to eat nothing. You say, oh, those crazy guys. Who did Jesus identify with when he came to the earth? Did he identify with the big mega church on the hill? He identifies with the, pro- the wilderness, locust-eating prophet dudes. <laughs> I mean, it's just in the Bible. Don't get mad at me. It's in the Bible. The spirit of Elijah was upon him. And verse 17 is the defining scripture. And it says, and he shall go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the wisdom of the, and the rebellious to the wisdom of the righteous. You talk about a job description. Something so powerful. He can literally break the rebellion off a generation and prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And if that's not enough, the Bible says, and Elijah will come again. That spirit jumped on John the Baptist. And I believe in some measure 22 years ago, that spirit jumped on a generation. And now a new generation arises, Gen Z, the Nazirite. I'm not giving you so much. This is so intense. Let me tell the story. So those kids led that in 1997. Promise keepers put a million mall on the mall to pray for America. Million men. I'm dreaming of a million women right now. I'm dreaming of a million women. I got stories to tell. But it says, but, 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 but in, I, I, was, I was doing this thing called Rock the Nations, 1997. A week later, I held up the front page of the USA Today report, and it shows the front page is the Promise Keepers Gathering, and I preach on Luke 117. They had fasted 30 days preparation for me to come, and I stepped into a realm of prophecy like I have never known. It felt, people said, we heard two voices speaking. I'm not boasting, I'm simply saying, I stepped into a realm of prophecy, and I begin to declare, the hearts of the fathers are turning to the children, but the hearts of the children are gonna turn to their fathers, and there's coming a corresponding John the Baptist, fasting and prayer, Nazarite generation, and when they go to the mall, It'll be a sign that America is turning back to God. I had no way of delivering that kind of message or even kind of that kind of movement. I tell you, you can't produce your prophecies. You pray them. You pray your dreams. And when you pray your dreams, you create your own future. When those words come out of your mouth, you're actually releasing the power to, re- to frame what you've seen. Oh, this is what... I- The people say that Joseph shouldn't have shared his dreams. Dreams ache to be told. 
to be told. Why does he tell his brothers, well, you shouldn't have done that? My thoughts are, how else is he going to get to Egypt? He speaks it, and the words begin to frame its future. And dreams keep you alive when everyone else is wandering in the wilderness. For 40 years, dreams are like spies. They show you what's in the promised land and they keep you alive when everybody else is wandering in the wilderness and dying. Don't give up on your dreams. Pray him. Don't give up on your prophecies. If it takes 25 years, 30 years, you've got to believe that the God who is the author is also the finisher of your divine story. I am in a story that I am looking for a fulfillment. I'm turning 70 in a couple weeks and I feel like I'm coming out of Babylon. I feel like Daniel fasting 21 days. Saying, God, you say you're insane, exactly. We all are, if we believe in the voice. Sorry, I'm just so intense today. So that was a word. He will go on before the Lord. And I prophesied this. So we held three years of gatherings called Prayer Storm in a place called New Life Church. High school kids came, slept in tents for five days, and three of those days they fasted. We cooked 200 hamburgers the first year, 650 kids. We sold two because it was the new breed of Christian kid that was arising that dared to believe that something could happen to shake a nation. The next year, 2,500. The next year, 4,500 kids gathered, fasting for three of those five days, praying that stadiums would be filled in America with John the Baptist fasting and prayer movement. And then in 1999, as he said, that woman came to me when I prayed a prayer. How can I turn America back to God? You've got to understand that what I am doing here right now, preaching this message, is connected to that original prayer. Everything in my life is unfolded out of a defining prayer in my life. From that moment, I measure everything in my life as to something that will turn America back to God. And so what came, I knew was the answer to what I had originally prayed. And I prayed, how can I turn America back to God? I want to call you to lifetime, life-defining prayers. When you go into the woods and you wrestle with God until you knew you got a hold of him. We have a casual approach to the divine drama of our lives. Don't you think you should know the title of your book? Don't you think you should know your job description? Doing enneagrams and everything. Are we done? I was going to midnight. Now listen. I'm all for enneagrams. I'm all for counseling, vocation counseling. All these things are good, but it leaves out the... the, it leaves out the dimension of the divine interruption that tells you who you are. <laughs> you can be grinding wheat in the wine press like Gideon. You don't need a self-help book. One word from God, you're the man. Oh man! I was the last one likely to succeed. 
but I heard the voice. And I prayed, God, how can I turn America back to God? And you said, Lou, we're so far down the line. I don't care how far down the line. I'm gonna just stick with it. And if it happens in the millennium, it happens. But I'm daring to believe on this side of the Jordan, a generation will rise up and fulfill what we were by seed sowing back there 22 years ago. And then that woman came to me. And she said, you don't know who I am, but the Lord told me to pay your salary this year. You're gonna start something with the youth of American Pearl to change the destiny of the nation. And I did take her money. She paid my salary for 15 years. She gave me $100,000 and we preached the message of the Nazarites, the separated ones who would grow their hair long. That was part of the vow. We don't have to do it in the New Testament, but wherever I've gone, Young kids do the vow. There's something about a transaction with God when you make, make a vow, a transaction with God that changes the rest of your life. I remember in those great days in the 90s, before all this, we were preaching the Nazarites. And I just wanna say this, it is not wrong to have holy ambition, to be great and to live a great life. And I remember reading a book on the Nazarites and it's John the Baptist that said, you can have an influence of a two or a seven or a 10 according to your desire. When I read it, I cried to God, give me an influence of a 10 in America. This is before the call. It seemed insane, but I was following my heart. One moment of awe is far better than a lifetime of calculation. We reason ourselves out of the prophetic because it doesn't make sense. But if you can listen to your heart, you can hear it singing inside. Pay close attention to your tears before you could because what you weep over points you to your destiny. I remember it all started in the 90s when I had a dream. I'm driving a car with a young high school kid and I said, who's your dad? And he says, I don't have a dad. I don't have a dad. And I woke up, my whole bed was soaked with tears. And I realized God was giving me a heart for that generation of mine. I tell you, I've just had dreams again of tears. I, 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 can't, I gotta get going. What, anyway, we preached on these Nazarites and they wouldn't cut their hair because this was the sound of the Nazarite. How far will you let me go? How abandoned will you let me be? It's not how little you can get by with and still be a Christian. It's the one who says, God, I wanna be completely abandoned to you. Long hairs of the heart. We preached this, kids started growing their hair. Then seven months before the call, my son, Jesse, he had had a dream of age 12. At age 12, and he came to me and he said, Dad, I had a dream that there were two gangs fighting, a God gang and a devil gang. And the leader of the God's gang, I, I went to the leader of the God gang and I asked him, how old do you have to be to be a part of God's gang? And the leader said, the rules have changed. It used to be 21, but now it's 12. He said, Dad, does it mean anything to you? Yeah. I think you're to be about your father's business at age 12 like Jesus. Don't waste your teenage years. 
I'm speaking to some here today that you can, I, I know in, inside you're actually feeling a burning inside. That is the Nazarite burn from mothers to kids. It is a holy thing to have that holy burn inside of you that Jesus would say about John the Baptist, would to God they would change the name of Gen Z that they were a burning and shining lamp that you enjoyed their light for a little while. Anybody hear that? That Jesus would mark a man by saying he was a burning and shining lamp. He was, he fled the religious system to go to the wilderness to fast. I'm not telling you to leave Upper Room. I think Upper Room's already fled the system. So at age 13, he came to me and said, Dad, I want to be a Nazarite to the call for seven months. I don't want to cut my hair for seven months. He said, Dad, I want to fast 40 days on juice and smoothies. He said, Dad, after that, I want to do a Daniel fast, no meats, no sweets until the call. What do you tell your kid when he wants to do something like this? He said, I don't want to play baseball this year. I just want to burn and pray with you, Dad, for revival. I didn't know what to say to him, but the next morning at four o'clock, I was wakened by the audible voice of God, and it said, America is receiving her apostles, prophets, and evangelists, but it has not yet seen her Nazarites. And I woke up and I knew the Lord was there. There's a new breed coming in America who aren't praying religious Christian games. They wanna love the Lord their God with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, and all their strength. And it's not legalism, it's love. When you're... Two days after the call, well, let me go back. The Lord began to confirm this. Five months before the call, I had a dream in which I'm overwhelmed with the impossibility of seeing America turn back to God. Don't you love dreams? I don't know how to explain, I was overwhelmed. It's impossible for America. Today I wanna to declare it's impossible. But in the dream, Luke 1, 17 rolled down in a scroll before me and it said, he shall go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And I read it in the scroll and the rebellious to the wisdom of the righteous. I woke up and the Lord said, what I am pouring out in America is stronger than the, the rebellion. I've cried to God, if it's stronger than the rebellion, then why are we so bad? He said, Lou, if 15 years of solemn assemblies and stadiums were filled with this movement, the last words of John was not prepare the way of the Lord. It was behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the Lord. Maybe Gen Z is the one that's gonna lead them to the mass beholding. What if on the front pages of Time Magazine, Hundreds of thousands of LGBT are being saved and transformed. We, we can't understand it. That's what the Beatles said in the 60s, God is dead. And in 1971, in the front of Time Magazine, Jesus has showed up and they're getting saved everywhere. I still believe something stronger is coming. And I knew that was my job description in some measure. And then four months before the call, 
the National Day of Prayer, James Dobson held a prayer meeting three days before the National Day of Prayer behind the pulpit that was in front of the U.S. Capitol. You couldn't do that now. Overlooking the, the, the Lincoln Memorial, overlooking to the Lincoln Memorial. And within four months, kids would be coming to the mall. I signed up for two o'clock in the morning. I walked around that Capitol. And when I was on the side of the Capitol, I said, God, I cry out to you. Because people were reading the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation straight through for three days. You could sign up for any time that you would read it, but you could not sign up for any scripture that you wanted to read it. And I'm walking around the Capitol and I said, Lord, whoever's reading the book right now, the Bible, let them end with the last two verses of the book of Mark so I can Luke, read Luke 1.17 and prophesy the Nazarites are coming to the mall. I walk up into the pulpit at two o'clock and she's reading the last two verses of the book of Mark and I start, I start weeping, prophesying. <laughs> There's coming a Nazarite, separated generation, from the legitimate pleasures of this life for the extreme pleasures of being the lovers of Christ. I wonder if I'm preaching to those this, this evening, like I was preaching in the 90s. Little did I know a spiritual son would arise on the scene and begin to carry this very message at 22 years ago. Now, 22 years later, my son is digging the wells of his father. And I've got to believe that something is gonna happen there in that hockey arena that may just be the beginnings of a Rock the Nations movement. What if, stick with me, can you hang with me? What if, seven years of traveling in a little movement called Rock the Nations. What if with two, 300 kids, and then it led to 400,000? What if, and we're beginning to dream, this arena will be the first, and it won't be 200, 300, it will be 5,000 in arenas coming together and offering themselves in a bridal vow to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind and soul, to separate themselves. What if this is the beginnings of a Rock to Nations day? And what if in seven years, in the full tilt of rebellion, God would pour out His Spirit and thousands are in stadiums. Bob Jones' word, no bad news tonight, only good news. The stadiums of America are filled. You say it's impossible. Yes, that's why I wanna do it. This was our message, a calling to a generation to offer themselves in love. Two days after the call, oh, my son, did that vow and he prayed a prayer on that mall and I'd like to show that video if we have it. Do we have it? He's 13 years old now. He's in the midst.
of his prayer went to the Philippines. A youth group was watching it and the Holy Spirit fell and I don't know how to explain it, but gold dust breaks out over the whole group. They decide to do the call. 150,000 gathered together because of one kid who prepared himself and asked God to make me a Nazarite for America. I just wanna run with you, Dad, and pray for revival. Little did he know that that movement in the Philippines would jump over into Southeast Asia with solemn assemblies in Southeast uh, Asia, in Thailand, even underground fasting and prayer gatherings in Vietnam. One young Nazarite kid shook the world. I'm not kidding you. You're looking at me. One young man, in some measure, shook the world. I wonder who's in this meeting. I wonder what men and women are hearing me right now and you can hardly contain yourself. Like you just want to run up, when I did and I, when I did and I had that thing of this, a two or a seven, 10, and I asked God for confirmation. I was, in a meeting right after that, and a guy's preaching, he said, you can have a two or a seven or a 10 according to your desire. I run for the altar, I dive for the altar, and I cried, give me an influence of a 10. I don't have a 10 tonight, but I have had a lot of influence, but I believe a new generation are gonna rise, and a 10 will take place through a new breed, a new generation. 18 years we've stood in front of the Supreme Court taking communion, pleading the blood of Jesus, and Roe is no more. I am daring to believe that at this hour, God is going to move into this generation, but it's not gonna just come in on the wheels of inevitability. It will come on the wheels of divine lovers who dare to believe they can move God's heart. I believe we can move God's heart. I end this with this story today and I went long tonight but it's not too late something just happened yesterday and I actually believe it's one of the most profound confirmations I've ever seen I've seen incredible ones Marcella if you could come and tell this story I was on her well women Instagram two days ago was it two days ago or today yeah. Friday, and um, there's a man named Victor who is her, I guess her brother-in-law or something like that, and uh, he was just interpreting in Spanish, and then we were talking about this Nazarites, and suddenly he kind of erupts, I want you to share the story. Yeah, so he has a dream the night before, and it's about his 12, he has a 12-year-old daughter my niece and a 13 year old son and uh, 
they just started going back to school and he was concerned about her. So he's praying and the Lord gives him this dream. He said, in the dream, Victoria Arceo, my daughter comes up to me and tells me it's time for her to enroll into college. In the dream, I think, wow, Victoria is so driven and ambitious. She's only 12 years old. The scene changes to where she's standing in front of two tables. In each table, I see a woman standing at each table. At the table to the left is Kylie Jenner. Though I'm not sure what she really looks like now, but I know in the dream it's her. At the table to the right is Alyssa Smith, a worship leader we met a few weeks ago at Upper Room. Both women are standing at their tables wearing glasses. And in my dream, I know they're representing admissions counseling, each representing school education. Kylie Jenner starts by telling Victoria, if you come and sign up to our university, I promise you, you will become famous. You will be known. You will travel the world. You will receive beauty. You will gain influence and get as much as you want and also do anything you want. I see that Alyssa Smith is watching Kylie Jenner promise the world to Victoria. Then Alyssa Smith says, there's no way I can offer you or compete with any of that. But I promise you this, if you sign up to our university, you will see and encounter him. And even if it's only for a second that you get to look into his eyes. I'm sorry. Jesus. Even if it's only for a second that you get to look into his eyes, it'll be worth it. It'll be better than a million and whatever she's offering you, even if it's only that you get to look into his eyes for a second. She then asked Victoria, will you do it? Will you give up all that she's promising you and surrender your life for the sake of knowing Jesus? And Victoria doesn't hesitate and immediately she starts signing up to enroll in the university that Alyssa was offering. So he's taking Victoria to school the next morning and he's telling Victoria the dream. And when he finishes telling Victoria the dream, Victoria says, Dad, what you don't know is that last night I actually sent Alyssa Smith a DM on her Instagram. And in that message, I told Alyssa, hi, my name's Victoria. And I met you in Texas youth camp. And I just want to say that you inspire me and the way that you love and your passion for Jesus is so powerful. Thank you for who you are. And he said he just wept, dropping them off at school. He was so thankful that she was hotly pursuing him. This to me is extraordinary. In fact, her boy, Victor's boy at age 12 was in a real dark period. And Victor, her, his father, showed him this video of my son, Jesse. He went into a six month, I mean, a, a 60 day Nazarite vow and God lit him on fire. And to this day at age 13, he's burning. I almost feel like we're revisiting the 12 to 13 period again. This dream, I believe, could be the altar call of the next year. You can go the Kylie generation culture or you could go the upper room culture. Time out, help me now. I think it's a calling not just about Alyssa. 
It is about a people who will say, we will follow the Lord and give it our first priority. We will separate our th ourselves from things that are culturally okay, but keep us from burning. And we will be a people, upper room, of a Nazarite consecration. Whether you do the hair or not, a decision is made. We're going the way of Alyssa. We're gonna show this story on Saturday to Gen Z. And I'm seeing thousands of kids coming to say we are not going to the culture of glitz, the gold, all that stuff. We are going to make a decision. And who knows, 22 years later, when I'm maybe not alive, a generation will see the greatest revival, if not now, and in heaven, I say, I got an influence of a 10. That sounds outrageous. I wanna pray right now, I want you to stand. I know, I think, I think we're gonna take, did we take an offering already? I've, I've given this message for probably 30 years. And I've asked, I've called people. Like when I dove for that altar, maybe your heart has burned all night long. I know this young man right here has burned all night long. Sometimes as preachers, we just feed on the fire of a young man's soul. It's who you are. It's why you're experiencing that burn inside your soul. I can tell you stories of these guys' lives or shaking sex trafficking industry because they separated themselves to God. If that's you today, you don't even, you don't have to know what it means. It's simply this, God, write, tattoo my heart with a seal of fire that's stronger than the seal of this culture. I wanna be a Nazarite, I don't even know what it means. I simply want to burn. I want God to say over me, He would be great in the sight of the Lord. And some of you have a holy desire in your life to fulfill a divine commission from heaven. And God is saying, this is how it works. Offer your life to God and saying, Lord, I'll follow you. If this is you tonight, and you would like to build an altar like I did 35 years ago in the 90s, I want to come, you to come forward, kneel down, and we want to pray that God will loose a Nazir, a Nazarite fire. You don't have to come forward, but I'm telling you, this message with Alyssa is a message for the whole nation. That upper room was meant to be a light on a hill showing this is the way you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul. The Nazarite fountain, the day after the call, with 400,000, I, I said, God, there's more revelation to be brought in the Nazarite vow. That night I dreamed and I dreamed of a scroll and it was number 6-2. If a man or a woman desires to 
make this special vow of a, of a Nazarite. And instantly in the dream, the word desire leaps off the page. And instantly I know it is not the desire of the Nazarite. It's God's desire that is producing that desire. If you have a desire in your heart to be separated, even at see America turn back to God, that is not your desire. It is God who is seeking. He is seeking, yearning, desiring the Nazarite lovers. And in the dream, I begin praying, God, hotly pursue Jesse, hotly pursue. I begin to cry out in my dream, hotly pursue my kids. Oh Lord, I'm asking you to hotly pursue the youth of America now. We could lift your voices with me, we pray. Hotly pursue Gen Z, hotly pursue, hotly pursue upper room. Loose this Nazarite burn. Something stronger than the Kylie generation. Kylie Jenner, the Kylie generation. God, we ask for Gen Z, a burning Nazarite generation. Put your hands on your hearts, brothers and sisters. Which tonight, Lord, would you mark me with the same burn as John the Baptist? Lord, I ask you, make me a Nazir. I don't know what it means. God, I'm asking that a generation of young men and women would raise up younger ones who would burn inside. Right now, I am calling for an inward tattoo of the heart. Release spiritual hunger. Release spiritual desire.